it's better if you're opening up an investing business, you're taking your finances seriously, not to give it to somebody who's given it the old college try and make sure that not only that, that they've been through a failure, you've seen how they operated and they have a very clear, clearly articulated story for how their deals will outlive a recession. Welcome to 7 to 8, our special series on seven and eight figure speakers. In this interview series, some of the hottest speakers in the industry who've made over seven figures in a year or less will uncover their twists and turns in their adventures, helping you to avoid the potholes and stick to the fast track. Welcome now to center stage, our next guest speaker. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I am super glad that you're here with us today because I have my most amazing guest, Patrick. Patrick, thank you so much for being here with us today. Just in our little bit of pre-chat, I've had so much fun, Michelle. I'm sure this is going to be a great time. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. So give everybody a highlight of who you are and a quick introduction to your business. Yeah, so Patrick Grimes. I'm the founding CEO of Invest on Main Street. Uh, we do private equity investments. We create passive investment opportunities for investors that want to get into real estate or diversified energy funds, alternative assets, the kind of monthly passive income and appreciation that's tax shielded and allows you the opportunity to accelerate retirement and leave a legacy down as you build your wealth through retirement. I love it. So how did you get into investments as a thing? Well, it was a windy road <laughs> because I started back in... 2000, uh, well, in the 2000s, when I became a mechanical engineering undergraduate, and then I got a job at doing machine design automation and robotics. And I was working hard, you know, doing the grind. And then one of the owners said, hey, look, you're starting to make some money. Why don't you should you invest it? And I, I, I didn't really come from a family that did a ton of investing. Uh, read, read Robert Kiyosaki. And he said, you know what, my only regret is I didn't invest as much into real estate as I could have, as soon as I could have. And so right then I dumped a bunch of money into highly returning deals and uh, it was pre-development and then eight, nine, 10 happened. I lost it all and it raked me over the coals and I crashed and burned back. So that was my introduction oh. to investing. So why would you want to have invested more when it, when it all crashed and burned anyway? Well, at first I didn't, right? At first it was just doom and gloom. And, you know, but then I, I got a master's in engineering and business. I dove back into the high tech career, started doing well again. And I had that voice in my head. Hey, this, this, because it wasn't just real estate, the, the tech markets crashed too. I needed to invest in, in different assets that were recession resilient, that would provide long-term legacy cash flow, tax advantages. And I started researching that led me right back to real estate again, but not the more risky pre-development stuff that I was doing, kind of a gamble, hoping that I can get something built, doing cash flowing investments on day one, ones that are in recession resilient markets that actually didn't crash, right? In the markets like Houston. And uh, so I started doing single family, buy distress, renovate, hold, and then and it was working, uh, but I was moonlighting it. It was really challenging because of the high tech job. Stopped doing that when I met my soon to be wife. And then after that, we took a couple years to get married in California and Beijing. And then all of a sudden I was off to private equity, larger trading them all up to multifamily apartments and then uh, diversifying into energy, oil and gas drilling. Nice, I love it. And in a, it, to me, this is a fascinating conversation because 
my very first foray into yours was Robert Kiyosaki. Mine was in an offshore uh, trust accounts. And I'm like, this is fascinating and completely useless for an 18 year old. I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to use this information. And, and it's been a journey ever since. And it's kind of like all the information. It's kind of like once upon a time I had a life and somebody said, if you knew now what you you know, if you knew then what you knew now, what would you want to know? And then I came into a new life and, you know, the beings gave me all that information up front. It's like, this is useless. <laughs> it's not working. And I think a lot of people feel like that, especially when they go through the 2000s or the 2000s and they invested a whole ton into something and it, and it crashes. So what I want to look at today is not, hey, you have 25 years to invest. It's like, hey, you got 10 years to invest. You got 15 years to invest. How do you make the most of this? And if something does go chaotic and awry, what kind of things can we do to start um, to looking at investments in a little <coughs> kind of more wise eyes, if you want to put it that way? So let's go back to, um, well, and let me ask you this first. So who do you serve in sport? Am I in the right ballpark with your, the people yeah. you serve in sport? Yeah, you you are in the right ballpark. My, In fact, I write for Forbes on investing in commercial real estate to try and help educate Americans on the, the financial IQ beyond their 401k, IRA, or maybe their financial planner into other assets that will actually get them to an accelerated retirement. And so we're talking the same language right now. Nice, I love it. So- Talk to me about the business. You 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 invested in things. They went awry. You, you did the hard knocks of the buying flips. So what is different about the investments that you have now? Well, so in every single investment, I have little notes at the bottom saying this was analyzed conservatively and uh, in a way with an eye towards what happened in 9, 10, and 11 on the real estate side. And on the diversified energy side, we're doing, we're not even putting debt in those investments. We're investing in essential needs like housing, but energy and in areas with proven reserves. And we're drilling for uh, natural gas and oil with tax advantages and cash flow. And in a way where if a recession hits, we can ride it out. And, but it's unlikely that that'll hit at the same time as real estate. So it's a combination of a core essential needs and alignment with, by the way, where the IRS wants you to investigate huge tax advantages, but completely non-correlated ones where, you know, real estate's going like this, but energy is a completely different cycle. Stock markets is a totally different cycle. So you really have these non-correlated investments where the ones up right now with interest rates up, uh, valuations in real estate are waning. Cash flow's going down in real estate, but in energy, cash flow's going up. Uh, in fact, it's a great time to invest in energy. So that's an example. And so we're, we're looking at that diversification and non-correlated assets to provide more, not the not looking for the lowest risk deals, but looking for a lower risk portfolio through diversification. I love that. So just as a note, peeps, we will have the, this is not financial advice, <laughs> go and mm -hmm. talk to them and get yeah. that done. And depending on when you listen to this, this markets will be completely different. We'll have all that legal crap in the notes. And, uh, and there was one other thing I wanted to talk about is the, oh yes, the, the diversification of a portfolio to me is, paramount in that um, when when all of your investments are in one particular city, <laughs> even though you may have mm -hmm. computers in oil and gas and, and, and that's still not really a diversified portfolio. So 
talk to me about what you mean by a diversified portfolio. Well, so what we do actually allows for that geographic regional uh, diversification, uh, which is, I, I write in for an article on single families versus large multifamily syndications where people are investing nearby them all in one locase, location, they're struggling to make that work. And, uh, and but if they invest with us, we can put them in the growth markets, recession resilient markets where it's landlord friendly and tax advantage and the cash flow. And we have a presence there. And that allows them not only to not have to personally guarantee and put everything in their own name and which kind of puts them in a risky position, but be a member of a large apartment building in an LLC and have each of those kind of asset protected in different regions and different locations. And same thing with energy. We're not buying, we're not drilling all in one spot. In fact, uh, my partners were active in five bases or five markets, oil and gas drilling, which gives us diversification of product in different markets. You have your oil or gas or combinations, as well as political uh, de-risking, because in one market, just like in real estate, you can there can be an eviction ban. There can be rent control. It can strangulate your ability to pull revenue. Just like in one market, all of a sudden you could have an issue with permitting, uh, oil and gas drilling, right? So having that geographic diversification gives you a lot of downside protection. Nice. Love it. And you had mentioned that you're when people invest in, say, an apartment building in an LLC, is that a co-op LLC? Is that community-owned? Is that somebody has, you know, majority ownership and then everybody else is paying in? How do yours work? Well, so the way that the securities and exchange kind of structures, they kind of require that if you pool investors' capital together, and some people are active and the most knowledgeable in making the decisions and some people are passive, they call it a securities offering. And so we file with the SEC um, as, a, as, a, as a security. And so we'll issue your ownership into a LLC, but you're kind of protected under this umbrella. Uh, you're limited to the liability of your investment. You don't have to worry about making decisions. You don't have to worry about some other passive investor that doesn't know what they're doing, making decisions either. And you can rely on us that have decades track record and a proven team regionally and locally to just do a rinse and repeat model. So it adds a lot of safety net to you. Whereas in a single family, if you're a co-op or you're part of an LLC, you're putting these things in your own name, you're signing a loan all by yourself. And that what happened to me when I signed on a loan by myself in 2008 and or six and seven, I got drug over the coals. I mean, that, that lender came right after me and everything I had. So you get a you get a lot lower risk profile. You're in better markets, and it's a, and you're better asset protected as well as you have less legal and financial risk. So I I think that's kind of the best of both worlds. Nice, I like that. And with your portfolio of investments, the risk of you guys making a kind of harebrained decision on one thing because you haven't done it before, so also highly diminished. Um, cause I've done a few of those ones too, where, you know, mm -hmm. when, when a city goes to annex the land, the land becomes obviously has more potential. And when somebody starts buying it out and then all of a sudden the city doesn't annex the land and you have to be able to hold it, then you need to be able to have the money to be able to hold it. And if you're working with the wrong company, like we did, that doesn't happen. So with you guys, mm. uh, talk to me about that. Well, so I was exactly that. I wanted to, I was really successful at what I did. I, I, I was, because I was a good robotics automation 
machine designer, I thought, well, I'm going to be good at everything else. You know, forget those guys that have been doing it their whole career. Uh, I can go do pre-development and in another area and I can make this work. No, I can. And I'm proof of that. Right. I, I, I tanked hard. Uh, but then I didn't, I learned how to do things more in more resilient markets, but I didn't learn how to partner after that. I was still buying properties with my own money. I was still signing on loans. I was still, but I was doing lower risk investments. It wasn't until I learned to partner with others and I worked in uh, better markets and scale to larger assets, which are actually safer uh, to invest in our workforce, multifamily, or our diversified energy funds are much safer when you get to scale because you're protected one asset, one well, or one unit doesn't catastrophically kill you, right? Like it did before. Um, you know, these it, it actually works out better. The challenge is to you, what you were pointing at is if most of the, you know, the doctors or the lawyers or, uh, you know, high CXO entrepreneurs, high paid individuals that want to invest in our deals, they have to undergo like, hey, do I want to try and become an expert in something that I'm not and probably be forced to do it nearby me in a location that I shouldn't? Or should I treat my investments like a business, because whether or not I want to believe it, I have an investment business. I may make a lot of money at my profession, but that money goes somewhere and I might as well treat it like a business. If I'm going to do a business, I might as well set up shop and put somebody in charge of that business because I don't know, I don't have a track record in handling that. And so that's why we, can't, we try to shift the perspective a little bit on that, but you're right on in your questions. I just love it. So when you're working with your clients, how much is kind of education on what to do and how much is, hey, these are the, this is a portfolio we have available? Well, I, I, I'm a networker myself and I've, you know, I've got the book out that was received well. I have my calendar open for anybody, investonmainstreet.com slash contact. I write for Forbes specifically on educating individuals about alternative assets and the dangers and the pros and cons and all kinds of stuff. 1031 exchanges and rental property, how to use your IRA 401k to invest in assets, inflation, all these things are difficult. So I'm a big, I'm a big educator. And part of what I'm doing here is to try and get myself out of that engineering habit hole where I was just cranking deals all by myself and try and get the story out there and try and contribute. Cause you know, we have a 500 million in multifamily and we're partnered in 200 million in oil and gas now. So I don't necessarily have to be doing this, <laughs> but <laughs> I love people and I love getting out there. I love making a difference. And, and I, and that, that, and that whole relationship is really cool. Nice. I love it. So when, when you're working with securities, are you working with only people that are, um, that have, I forget what the word is, but that they have, they've made million dollars and they have an extra 500 K sitting around or what's the, um, portfolio of your potential clients look like? Well, so it's kind of a catch 22. All right. So if I was here, uh, since I'm here talking about our investments openly, mm -hmm. uh, then the Securities and Exchange Commission says, okay, you can do that, but you can't offer them to what are called non-accredited investors, right? The problem is nobody knows that they exist because they're only taught about IRA, 401k, financial plan, only stock market stuff. There's no formal education for anything else. So I'm out here saying, hey, if you're an accredited investor, you have a, a 200,000 in income or 300,000 combined with your spouse or a million in net worth, not including your personal residence, and you're liquid for 100,000, we have extraordinary investments for you. But I'm also saying that, unfortunately, my buddies that don't file the way I do, that aren't openly talking and marketing their investments, 
they 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 can let you they can let you come in. So give me a call and I can point you to them. But you're not going to be able to find them. It takes somebody like me out here to talk to you, raise awareness of them, and then I can point you to. And then they can't bring you in in their current investment, but they can build a relationship with you and in the subsequent investments, and then they can bring you in as a non-accredited investor and potentially lower minimums. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it's hugely important for people who don't necessarily fall into that um, into that bucket is to start educating themselves on what it could look like, what it might look like. Um, because I'm going to get into kind of what your escalation of your experience of um, in this last little bit of what wealth creation has been. And I think it's important for people, even though like me, I, I had the... <laughs> backwards information, but it became highly useful. And I think when you educate yourself ahead of time, when you don't necessarily need it, it becomes easier to learn because you're not as emotionally attached to it. So you have the freedom to be able to ask questions and go, Hey, that doesn't really make sense. What about this? What about that? And to me, it's, um, it's vital because people are in a position right now that they have to know that there are ways of making money, uh, quickly, more stably than they've been taught before. And just because they're in a certain circumstance doesn't mean that they're permanently in that circumstance. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's an incredible message. And because I oftentimes people are like, oh, I finally am accredited, but then they haven't, they haven't learned. They haven't undergone this financial IQ lift to understand, okay, based on the investments out there, they don't know any of them. They haven't researched them before. And based on your risk profile and your goals and you know what, what are the best fit? They maybe find one person in the investment that one guy could say they kind of blend around the scene. And just like most people did, it's like walking into a trade show with a bunch of booths, right? And you don't know where to go if you haven't already planned and educated and kind of spearfished exactly what your strategy needs to be. Love it. So talk to me about your experience, especially in this last foray to creating your millions. What would you say are some of the things that were paramount that you had in place? You've mentioned a few of them. But just to kind of make it concise for somebody that wants to make a million dollars and go, okay, what do I need to have in place? Or what did you have in place that I might be able to model or, you know, things that they can avoid? How'd you do it? Well, I did pretty well in my automation and robotics career, but I never got to a million dollars. I never even got to $500,000 in a year. Um, and that to me was a challenge because no matter how hard I worked or how much time with family, friends and hobbies that I spent working on these really cool projects and robotics and satellites, EV vehicles, medical devices. It was just, I was super geeking out about this stuff. I loved it. It was, it was, a, it was a challenge to really scale it. What changed was when I started taking my investing business, uh, my investing funds and looking at it as a business. And then when I looked at it as a business, I started trying to do that by myself. Then I realized that's going to throttle just like my engineering career. It wasn't until I shifted that and said, hey, look, I need my time with my wife and I need to partner for my investments. And I found different operators that had were, were in better markets that were taking down bigger assets that had more favorable tax advantages and better returns. And I could focus on my superpower, what I was good at, that one piece, or whether that's just making good cash flow at my job or contributing in some way to a partnership. And they can do their piece, which their passion is. It was really that partnership 
uh, that that trust but verify, uh, but get in the game with others, partner up, and then all of a sudden things just started going up and up and up every year. Love that. Well, and when it comes to partnerships, I've found that personally is if I ask what I call three times more questions than I give out money. <laughs> I'm often in a better position than I am if I'm just going, oh, hey, that sounds like a good idea. Let's throw some money at it and see what happens. What's your philosophy on finding the right partners? Well, so because I lost everything in a downturn once, right? Yep. And I just, I spoke on economics in Chicago on a stage and I, I was in a panel and there was two or three others and I was about to answer that very question. Uh, and then I took it to the back step. So I was like, wait, what about these guys? I realized at that moment that all the other guys that were brave enough during this time to stand up and talk about how you can do deals in today's economy. Every single one of us had lost huge in, in the 08, 09, and 10 downturn. And we came out of it kicking. And that's the key. We were humbled. We lost huge, right? We, we saw how the economics can break down. We saw how the demand can shift. We saw how the debt structures can be manipulated. And we learned from that and we came out better, sharper. And so I always look for individuals. I, I just, man, yesterday I, I got, I was looking at a deal and these guys have just been doing it for a couple of years. They're just way too excited. They, had, they didn't even understand the questions I was asking. Like simple things, like what's your break-even occupancy when, you know, if the worst happens, right? What's your debt covered service ratio? What, you know, like I'm asking them all these basic things on what are your reserves allow you? What's your runway on the reserves? Like how many months can you float the property if you have a burn building, right? All these things, they haven't been through the challenges. And I think it's, it's better if you're opening up an investing business, you're taking your finances seriously, not to give it to somebody who's given it the old college try. And make sure that not only that, that they've been through a failure, you've seen how they operated and they have a very clear, clearly articulated story for how their deals will outlive a recession. Our deals are all built around uh, surviving a recession. And I can give you like the 12 reasons why right off the tip of my tongue. If they can't do that, then I'd, I'd be a little concerned. That's my number one. I love that. So give us like the top three, not the top 12, just the top three. How do you know some things? What are some indicators? Well, first of all, recession resilient market. So you want to be in areas with diversified employment that have built in insulation, finance, education, logistics, uh, small, but a lot of different pillars like this and a small amount of retail and hospitality because it's got to be an attractive place. These would be legislative friendly. That's business friendly. If you're going to set up shop somewhere, Make sure that the government's friendly to you. Legislative landlord friendly, allow you to evict, allow you to raise the rents, uh, permit friendly, those kind of things. So you want to be government, you want to be, uh, and then you want to make sure that it's in an expansion. Um, people are moving, jobs are being created, income's being created, and then the asset itself, where what you're investing in, how's it structured? Is there, a, is there debt? And, and can that debt be paid if occupancy drops down to where it has in prior recessions, right? Can Do you have reserves on the sideline? So if a COVID hits, occupancy drops, you're paying your cash flow, but what happens if a building burns down? Do you have six to eight months in reserves on the sidelines so that you can be first in line to rebuild that 
float the capital and you have insurance policies to make your investors whole for loss of rents and uh, replacement costs. And just those few things are, it's very, it's shocking to me, just those fundamental, what I consider to be obvious fundamental things are absent and deals that we're seeing right now. Uh, we're, we're just the deal we have in Atlanta that right now, 14% bad debt, struggled, then a building burned down, no reserves, didn't have an interest rate cap, is not cash flowing, super distressed, didn't have money to renovate the units. Way, the units are way below market, had to sell off market, we locked it up. But we're just, if you structure a deal in a way where you're not all the distressed buyers are buying from, you're gonna be fine. And those things are relatively obvious. I think the challenge is people get really excited about wanting to do deals and they start turning a blind eye to this or that or this or that. And it's important. It's important that you you know enough and you're talking about education to be able to find the partners that are thinking in the right ways and they're not getting too over exuberant and over optimistic. Love it. Well, and and I think it's just, you know, when we've <laughs> been through things, uh, we earn our gray hair, right? It's uh Remember I, I don't have any here. What are you talking about? I <laughs> <laughs> yeah. bought my first condo. Rent was mm-hmm. 1800 a month. That was awesome. So we based our, you know, everything on that. Um, but then the government decided that oil and gas was a bad thing. So Calgary took a downturn and rent went down to 900 a month, uh, and which is rather difficult to <laughs> take, take that mm-hmm. kind of a hit, um, long sustained. But when you have the plans in place, it totally makes sense. And of course, there were other buildings in Calgary that did just fine just because they weren't, uh, it was it was a certain economy that was in that built, uh, not um, the building, the, the space, there were tons of buildings. Um, loving all of this conversation. So what are some of the things that people should be asking you um, when they come on to look at your kind of what you guys do differently. We've mentioned all the diversity, all that kind of thing. Is there anything that we're missing or have we kind of hit it all? Well, so you mentioned oil and gas and we haven't really talked about a lot of that. And I think what we could talk about is uh, how that applies to oil and gas too. Cause yeah. most of the investors, you know, they've maybe they've gotten past the IRA 401k. Maybe they've sectioned a piece of that out to self-direct it into real estate Maybe they're day trading. Maybe they're in real estate. Maybe they think they're diversified because they're in like eight different kinds of real estate. They're like in multifamily, assisted living, mobile home park, whatever. All That's one asset, one correlated cycling asset that's actually in the middle of a reset. That's not diversification. Diversification is completely non-correlated and that's why we do the energy stuff. But to answer your question on the energy side, where we raise the capital without debt right now. There's no plans to put debt in there. So that allows for recession resilience, right? If the if the price is volatile between oil, well, we're half oil and half natural gas. So that gives us diversification across two different commodities. So if they're both down, well, we can still ride it out, right? It's not that we have this debt payment coming through. And the the challenge with oil and natural gas, if you're interested in those kinds of investments is, if you drill one well, it's like trying to build one house. If it fails, you lose it all. And so we do it at scale, just like how you have hundreds of units in an apartment building. We have dozens of wells. And if one apartment building unit floods or get a fire, you want to be in lots of wells so that if one drill bit gets stuck, it's a dry hole, it washes out in the economics. And these are really critical because uh, 
there are very few natural gas and oil type drilling investments out there that provide for this level of scale, this level of diversification, both from uh, product diversification as well as geographic diversification with multiple spots. So I think people should definitely take a critical eye. I, my family collects oil royalties, so I have a little bit longer history than most, but I know enough to know that uh, everybody I know is, who's been in oil and gas has lost it all in an oil and gas deal or knows somebody who has, because none of those traditional investments are these diversified portfolios. But if you can structure it right, uh, then make sure you inquire about the tax advantages because the government, U.S. government incentivizes like crazy better than real estate. And like 75% of your investment comes off your ordinary income uh, for most of our investors in the first year. It's like getting a 30% return just for the tax advantage. If you're investing in the right kind of diversified portfolio. So make sure you're inquiring to your operator in the oil and gas space. How do you know if any one of these factors happens, the recession, the maybe a local elector, maybe oil tanks or whatever it is, how do you survive? You got to be able, they, they should right on the tip of their tongue, be able to tell you, here's the 10 ways that we're going to survive a potential failure in the model. And that's the, that's the engineer in me, but they should be able to say all that. If they can't, it's because there's holes in the boat, right? And it's going to be a challenge because at one point you may need to start bailing and that can be costly. Absolutely. And you've talked about tax advantages as a thing. And I don't think that people really understand that there are investments that the government wants you to invest in because it creates an economy for us. And so talk to me about your portfolio and how that's affected it. Um, yeah, part, to... part, sure. Yeah, well, part of our investment thesis is to focus on essential needs. Uh, and, and unlike China, for example, uh, that they own all the, the, the power, the housing, they control the food. In America, the government incentivized businesses to house, feed, and energize America. And so if you invest in alignment with the interests of the government, they, they give you great tax advantages. In real estate, if you invest in one of our large multifamily deals, unlike the single family deals, we'll pass through a, a usually about a 50 to 70% paper loss. But that paper loss typically carries forward to offset all your monthly passive income so you don't pay tax on that. On the oil and gas side, it's way better. It's way better because if you invest, say, $100,000, we'll pass through a 75%, call it intangible drilling costs. Now, that that isn't just used to offset the monthly passive income. In the first year, that for most of our investors, and you got to check with your financial advisor and CPA to make sure that this works for you. But for nearly all of our investors, uh, it directly reduces your ordinary income, your taxable income. So if you made four hundred thousand, you invest hundred thousand. Typically, your your taxable income goes down from four hundred to three twenty five. Which means that if you're in a 40% tax bracket, that's $30,000 you did not pay Uncle Sam, right? So if you invest 100, you're collecting monthly passive income and an exit on 100, but you're all in at 70, right? Which is just an incredible benefit that the government says, hey, you invest in this, I'm not going to charge you those taxes for that, right? It's an amazing, it's an amazing thing. I, I love it. And and I think when people understand what the incentive is for the government to do it, it's not that you're avoiding taxes. It's that they want you to invest in those things because it's good for the mm -hmm. economy. Awesome. So 
what would you say is your favorite part of your business? Well, I love, I love the networking, both from partners like yourself, but I love networking with investors. I've always been, been in a community builder, whether it was in my automation business, attending events and speaking at events and on to automation technologies, or my birthday. I mean, before COVID, for 12 years in a row, I took a, a bus of people for the weekend up to the wine country in uh, Sonoma, Northern California. I'm a huge wine nut. I got 30, 300 bottles of wine on my rack. And so, uh, but I've always been that, you know, community builder. And so I like how with our investments and, you know, they talk about what's financial freedom for you. Well, my wife and I, we don't necessarily have to work now, but we are, we're, you know, we're, I'm passionate about what I'm doing. And I like that one, it makes a good, I get to network with great people, just like yourself, Michelle. This is a really cool way to spend the day. Right. Right. And yeah. And then also I get to make, I get to make a difference in investors' lives. People call me all the time. Hey, I had no idea this even existed. I was like, you as well as most of the population have no idea these exist. And your financial planner wants to do everything to make sure that you don't invest because he will, that will be food off his table, the poor guy, right? I mean, there's better products out there for him. So I get to make that difference in a positive impact. And we've, we're buying and selling properties and making our investors tons and tons of money. And I just love those calls and those emails. We got a ton of video reviews, but we're also a good, I mean, on every single investor deck, it says, it says um, uh, part of our mission is not only to provide inflation hedge and tax advantage returns that'll uh, uh, provide monthly passive income appreciation to help our investors retire early, but it also says we uh, make a cleaner, safer, and improved living experience for our residents. And I get people asking me about that. Like, what does that mean? I'm like, we make a cleaner, safer place for them to live and we improve the properties so they have a better living experience. They're like, how much does that cost? And I was like, you should invest somewhere else. <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, I'll t- I right? can tell you story after story. We, I mean, I because we were in Hawaii, we were living in Hawaii. We're in Southern California, Orange County, Southern California now because we just had a, a newborn and we're in Irvine with great schools and nearby family now. But I was like red-eyeing out to properties and, and I land in Houston go to this property, which we did close on, and we're doing due diligence and the property's a wreck. There's pest issues, mold issues, leak issues, foundation issues. This guy was distressed. We heard about it from a broker. It was an off-market deal. This guy had a 19% bad debt. It means 19% of the residents were not paying. But as soon as he walked the property, this guy was a slumlord. I'm not going to say the name of the property, but this, and it was it really upset me. When we went to go do the lease audits, we found a stack uh, almost a ream of paper thick of unanswered maintenance requests. And I just, I was really angry at the guy. I struggled, I struggled to talk to him, right? <laughs> because I was just wow. like, this doesn't feel, we got, he lost his building. We got that property. We got it at a crazy discount. And, and you know what? We rehired some of the old leasing agents that, that he had let go that were being too, too nice and building community. Right. And they just they just laughed. They could handle it. And then all and all of a sudden we built the we fixed the security camp. We added security cameras. We fixed the issues with the gates, automated gates. We started getting we fixed the foundation issues. We fixed the amenities, the pools back up and running. And these people are happy. Yeah. And you know what? They're paying us. They're paying us. They're paying the rents all of a sudden. 
and they're excited and they're showing them for the hot dog lunches and stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's really cool to be a part of that, to invest in the communities and see these 300, you know, that's a lot, 300 units. It's a lot of families under your watch, right? And, and if somebody's like nitpicking that from an investor perspective, they're in the, they're in the wrong camp because it was the people who didn't do that, that struggled during COVID. It's people that didn't do that that are the stress purchases we're buying now. And I'm, I'm glad that we're in that. And on the energy side, it's similar because the whole section of our website is somebody's gonna be drilling for natural gas and oil. We have ways to do it, which are cleaner and safer and greener. And we have whole videos on how that's done and the recycling we do. It's not gonna go away, especially in the next three to five years, which is the horizon of our fund. We're all supporters of green technology. But right now we're sourcing it all from overseas and it's a threat to our national security and they have control over our economy. So somebody's going to do it. Might as well let somebody do it with a more conscious way, a more thoughtful approach in the communities that they're doing it in mm -hmm. and also in the environment and the impact that it has. And we're half natural gas, I meaning 38% of the electricity in the United States is natural gas. That's what powers your EV vehicles. So the reality is, it's desperately needed and the you know western is constrained with natural gas because of russian misery. so on that side yes too i natural gas and oil drilling a hundred percent i'm excited about the way we're doing it not only the results that it gives our investors but what it provides for america and what the better world i think it creates of course it's make it's allowing for progress it's allowing for a better grid for ev vehicles and there's obviously, you know, green energy that's coming. And it's a tiny sliver. I mean, if you watch, if you look, I mean, we need to promote it, but we have to have new technology. It's going to take 50 years for it to really take a hold. But in the meantime, we got to keep our, our planet as safe as we can. And somebody's got to do this, right? So that's, I mean, those are the things. This is a long answer, but you got, you're touching on things that I'm passionate about. So I, I can tell, I can tell. It's yeah. awesome. I know our audience is going to want more from you. How do they start their journey with you? Mention your book and your podcast, your everything. Oh, so I, I, I don't have a podcast. You can listen to, okay. Like, you're, you're Forbes. You're in Forbes, man. You don't need yeah, one. <laughs> I write, I write for Forbes. Uh, I've got a bunch of articles out there. Patrick Grimes, uh, Forbes, you'll see 10, how to, how to 1031 exchange your single family landlord tenants and trash rentals into large multifamily partners with us, how to carve out part of your 401k and IRA in the stock market, self-direct it into hard assets, non-correlated cash flowing assets with us. The information about my journey is all, and I, in fact, we do have a book. I, I, I still had hair just years ago when I, for those of you who are looking at this, it's persistence, pivots, and game changers turning challenges into opportunities. Uh, Brian Tracy did the four. There's Russell Gray from the Real Estate Guys. Phil Collins, lead guitarist at Death Leopard, NFL, NBA players. There's a handful of people on the cover here that we co-authored this book. I did a chapter. This was such a cool book with some really extraordinary and very diverse, just game-changing people. Uh, and so, you know, I, I, I give away this. I, I loved it, loved the project. So if you go to investonmainstreet.com slash book, invest on main and then street.com slash book, uh, type in the promo code. What was it? 7-8. Uh, 7-8. Make sure you type in 7-8. If you give just put the name of this podcast. Some way we can identify that you're not a random <laughs> you're <about laughs> from me. I am not a random. <laughs> yeah. Then we'll give you a, a signed hard copy. We'll ship out wow. to you. 
So we do that as a, as a welcome gift for, and hopefully the stories in there, including mine, I tell my whole story that ups and downs that, you know, and we, we, even how we landed in Hawaii too. And then, <laughs> but yeah, so, and if you want to meet, talk about your goals, see if, if I can get you pointed in the right direction, we're definitely not a, a high pressure sale type, you know, I'm, I'm, I tend to point people in a lot of directions very frequently. Uh, invest on mainstreet.com slash contact. And there's my calendar. You can feel free to set up a meeting and if you want to email me. It's Patrick at invest on And be happy to oh. chat with you. Awesome. That is fantastic. I could talk to you for hours. I know I could, but I won't, but I do get to ask you this. At what point in life did you know that you were a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Well, when I dumped, literally when I was like living on a shoestring after college and I dumped every single penny into a pre-development deal and I was like, holy crap, <laughs> like that was the first moment that I knew I had, I couldn't believe that I did it. Uh, and of course I lost it all and a lot more, but you know, I, I got out of that kicking. I love it. I love it. You have been absolutely awesome. Any last words for our peeps? No, I appreciate it. I challenge everybody out there to take a hard look at their the way that they're diversified now. My passive investor guide on my website talks about the diversification and that's required to really live out recessions. And right now is the time. If you're not in real estate or if you're only in real estate and you need to get into something else like energy, which is you know growing, I'd, now's not the time to be waiting out the stock market, especially with inflation. The rebound is going to be just consumed by inflation and there's better returns you can you can get into right now and ride inflation that's going to rebound better in the stock market. And that's pretty much the one message I keep hearing. Oh, I can't get out of the stock market. Now it's down. Well, you said that when it was going up too. <laughs> and this whole time you've been in the casino at the wrong table, right? So watching that stuff go up and down. And meanwhile, we're making money with inflation. We're hedged against interest rates. We're cash flowing and we're not paying taxes. And it's just, it's time to get, it's trying to walk away from that table, at least for with a piece of the stack and diversify. And that's, it's tend to be my message these days. I love it. I love it. You've been awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. And I know how valuable it is. I, I'm so glad to do it. Let me know if you'd like me to come back on, Michelle. Absolutely. We would. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. Be sure to subscribe to the show, share it with your friends. We love helping entrepreneurs grow. Thank you for listening to 7 to 8. If you're interested in upping your speaking game, be sure to connect with our guests with the links in the show notes and connect with me to see how we can help you get your tech done for you and help your speaking dreams come true.